Welcome to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast, brought to you by CoreLogic, produced by Agent TV for the 19th of September, 2022. I'm Head of Research, Nick Goodall, and I'm joined by our Chief Economist, Calvin Davidson, down in Christchurch. Calvin, how was your weekend, mate? A little bit quieter than the previous one, I'm guessing? Yes, it was, yeah. Uh, last weekend, it's right in Tarawana, of course, as we talked about, so nice to have a change of scene from that. And yeah, just did stuff with the kids and, and Gemma, it was, um, it was pretty good. I don't know really where the time goes, but... Do a little bits and pieces around the house. It went past pretty quick. I mean, not much sport to watch, so so I was a little bit lighter on, on all of that. So so yeah, really good. I feel feel a bit fresher this Monday than last Monday. Put it that way. Yeah, nice. yeah, nice. It was a bit different, obviously, having the All Blacks on Thursday night too. So like I say, there was none not on the weekend, but um, you know, I'm all good, mate. Had a, had a pretty good weekend. Had a um, bit of a night on Saturday for our football prize giving. So it was good to see off the season, but made sure I was relatively you know sensible and uh, could still function yesterday. So that was all good. Back on the road again this week. Actually coming to you from the Tauranga Central Library. Um, Popped up in a corner here, so there might be a little bit of background talking and things. Hard to find a quiet space, but hopefully got the business here. And then um, yeah, for the rest of this week got a bit of leave booked as well with uh, my wife's 40th on Wednesday and party on the weekend so a lot of friends and family in town so looking forward to that one mate but um yeah let's get into things anyway and uh look back at the last week and the week that was of the property market I think the first thing to cover off Calvin has to be um the GDP figures for Q2 now of course it was nowhere near a recession you know there was consideration of would we go into recession with a second month of of negative falls and economic activity um nowhere near it um but I I suppose part of the point you've always been making is does it really matter if it felt like one anyway so yeah what's your take on the GDP figures coming out bit of a surprise to many maybe talk about some of the contributors to the um, strong return that we saw there and then we can talk about maybe some of the implications of it as well so um, over to you mate. Yeah so the uh, the number was if people haven't seen it I guess most people would have is, was 1.7% increase that's quarterly from uh, Q1 after that 0.2% fall in, in Q1. So, so yeah, the recession was well and truly uh, averted. Now, there's a, there's a few things around it. I mean, the, yep, there was there was a quarterly bounce back because of you know, borders reopening. So the, the sectors that, that drove it, services largely to do with hospitality, accommodation, transport. So those things that social restrictions kind of impinged upon. Uh, had had a had a better quarter, so so probably no no huge surprises. I think it, the range of uh, expectations in advance was actually pretty wide, and I guess that kind of illustrates the uncertainty we've still got. Some people were predicting sort of a 03 percent increase, and I think Westpac might have been right up at one point six or one point eight. So actually, you know, they were they were on the money, but it goes to show the the range of of what people thought, and I guess how hard it is to. To pin things down at the moment, so so yeah, it was it was a great result, of course, and um, yeah, it shows that we we well and truly averted recession. I guess in this environment, you know, it can, it can be a bit a bit bouncy though. So the fact that we had a quarterly increase uh, last quarter of Q two kind of sets a higher bar. So you know, you need you need Q three to keep growing to, to keep up that kind of momentum. And actually, you know, some of the indicators for Q three have been okay, some are a bit patchy. So, you know, you never know Q three. I, I expect Q three won't be as strong as that. And you know, we could be back down at sort of those those lower numbers again. So it's a little bit, you know, we're in this bouncing pattern at the moment in terms of quarterly changes. 
Now, I suppose, um, you know, on one hand, it was a really good result. On the other hand, it's the whole good news is bad news thing at the moment that, uh, you know, then, then people are coming out saying, well, probably means a higher peak for the OCR. So, you know, from a, a mortgage borrower's perspective, not so great. So, you know, it's, it's, there's, uh, there's always trade-offs. And um, so some of the banks came out saying now OCR, I think ANZ went as high as 4.75. So quite a big revision. Now, you know, will it, will it pass through to mortgage rates? I mean, maybe, you know, you, you, I think it re-emphasizes what we've been talking about, that maybe mortgage rates aren't at a peak. I mean, they might be close to that peak, but maybe they're not quite there yet. And this, I think, just underlines that here. And so, you know, a higher OCR, I mean, it has to become sort of the market view, I guess, and the Reserve Bank would actually have to follow through. Nothing guaranteed there. But if, if we did see the OCR go up to 475 then you know, you'd have to think there'd be more pressure on floating rates, um, maybe a little bit of pressure on maybe the one-year fix, that kind of thing. I think we'd really have to see other central banks you know, get even more concerned about inflation and, and that pressure there, revise up the peak for the OCR, then that could flow through to those wholesale rates and, and flow through to, to longer-term fixes here. So, um, yeah, I think there's a little bit of water to go under the bridge, but it's certainly you know, a strong GDP result, on one hand, good. On the other hand, you know, could put could, uh, more upwards pressure, keep that pressure on inflation and possibly um, a higher mortgage rates. So yeah, swings and roundabouts, but but for now it's it's you know it's a good result. Probably keeps um, uh, keeps unemployment low, but uh, flip side is possibly higher mortgage rates. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've heard a sort of bit of um, you know both sides of the argument. Really, you see ANZ adjust their forecast up. I think it's important to note that no one's forecasting the OCR to get above four percent until next year. So you know before the end of this year, their expectation is still to hit four. It's just there might be some further growth next year, and that'll of course depend on how the rest of the year plays out. You know, I heard there's been the Kiwi Bank haven't really adjusted their expectations of the OCR, and that's because retail spending's been quite low. So while tourism was obviously ramped up, and we see the services industries do better. You know, our own internal retail spending has, has still been um, going backwards. And I think that's the other side of it where you go, actually, people are spending less um, you know, because of all the other pressures that they're facing at the moment, So, including on their, on their mortgages. So I can sort of see both sides of things. But I think the important thing here is, is that it's still only forecast to hit 4% by the end of the year. And while, like you say, we'll wait and see what the Reserve Bank might do to their adjusted forecasts um, in, I don't know, it must be a month or two's time. Um, and, and like you said, internationally, I think um, in the US, the Fed will be looking at their version of the cash rate and what they do with that this week. And it's expected to lift by 75 basis points. So, you know, it's quite a hike for them. But again, it's expected. So whether that has a big flow through to wholesale interest rates is probably yet to be seen, but maybe not because it's already expected. And so again, it's already sort of priced into everything that's going on. So I think, like you say, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, you've got to be generally be happy with GDP growth being good, but we do need to yeah, look at the other side, which means it could flow through to higher mortgage interest rates um, than we we're expecting prior to this result coming out. So yeah, certainly an intriguing one um, and one that will yeah, continue to watch all the extra data flows that come in for, for what happened, what might happen next anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the thing. People are probably watching it. Economy watchers talk about, you know, it's all data dependent, that type of thing. And we probably are in that environment where, you know, things are, like you say, things are priced in, the expectations of higher interest rates are priced in. So what happens to change that is kind of dependent on the data. You know, is, is inflation a bit higher than we thought? Is unemployment a bit better or worse? And, you know, that changes people's expectations. So, so we're probably in that in that world right now. And um, probably just didn't cover off that point about the difference between, well, did we get technical recession, did we not? Well, we know now we didn't. But on the ground, 
doesn't matter. I mean, people, it still feels like a recession. Inflation is still high, cost of living is still an issue. So um, people might look at it and say, well, cool, you know, great. GDP grew 1.7, but doesn't mean much for me because I'm, I'm still, you know, struggling to pay the pay the loan and, and, and pay for food and stuff. So, yeah, there's 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 different sides to it. And, um, you know, you've got to say good result, but still some, some caveats too. Exactly. I think, you know, and we've talked about it quite consistently recently, I think, talking about that confidence and sentiment that plays a huge part. And like you said, if people feel like it, they adjust their spending and that means, you know, less growth in the future. So, yeah, certainly, certainly, you know, maybe the technical recession, um, as I say, didn't actually matter. It's how it feels on the ground and confidence certainly remains very, very low. So that's probably actually what, what impacts things the most. Um, they're all good, mate. Oh, well, they're the, they're the, uh, one of the other big releases last week, of course, was the Real Estate Institute's House Price Index and their sales volumes last week. You know, we know that volume have remained weak and you know sort of closing out that sort of um you know cold winter period as well values according to the house price index fell a further 1.3 percent so they continued downward trajectory um and those falls from peak now are getting pretty sobering reading really when you look at particularly wellington and auckland i noticed you know they're about 17 to 20 something percent um down on peak at the end of last year october november time time um including i saw lower huts house price index was down 23.4 percent so it does show you that there's been a significant turnaround in those values and um but of course it is you know a correction from such crazy heights as well where we saw you know upwards of 40 odd percent growth in that sort of 18 month period following um the lockdown in 2020 as well so it is coming back quite quite a lot and that impacts you on the board of the peak of the market but in general it is this correction back to what might have been an otherwise norm if we didn't have that strong growth phase as well which i think is a is a message i'm sort of continuing to ram home at the moment when in my um, discussions and presentations anyway but uh you you would have checked out the data a little bit mate did you have anything else that you took apart from um looking at the the volumes or the house price index data kelvin yeah i guess just to add around the, the regional differences so we, you know we've we've been talking for a long time about uh not everything's sort of 100 in one direction and you know we've done that vulnerability analysis about different parts of the country will we'll feel this to different degrees and, and i guess this is coming through in the data and you talk about those peak to trough falls and Auckland and Wellington being pretty pretty sharp and in, in lower heart, but other parts of the country not down too much at all. And the, those you're looking at sort of reg, uh, regions such as Northland, Southland, the, the falls in prices are, are there, but quite a bit smaller. So you know you're looking sort of less than five percent. So I guess that's hopefully it shouldn't come as a surprise to people because we're flagging up that that some parts of the country will be less vulnerable than others. And, and you know, we, we flagged up parts of Canterbury as being less vulnerable too. And so they're, they're showing through and, and smaller price falls. So it's 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 probably, you know, it's not unexpected. I and mean, the falls have been pretty sharp, of course, but the fact that there's also regional differences there is is, is to be expected. And, and probably the, the regions that are holding up better are the ones we might have indicated you know so it's a, it's all pretty broad but um but yeah that's that's just the only thing i'd add is that not everything's falling so sharply other parts of the country are, are holding up better so um so yeah one to keep an eye on and maybe even signs, I think, in the Auckland City Index, where it sort of you know, almost looked like it was bottoming out to a degree. I think it's still early to call that that's going to be the end of falls for even Auckland City itself. But, um, you know, there may be signs there where, you know, maybe that market is starting to meet itself. And we know Auckland and Wellington do often tend to move prior to the other markets. So if they've gone a bit sooner, those regions, you know, they start to react a little bit later. And so maybe we will start to see some of those markets turn a bit sooner um, if demand comes back in those, those places a bit sooner as well. So that's another one to watch out for, I think. Um, um, 
the other one around data, of course, uh, and property data was our own release on the mapping the market data, which is, of course, our measure of how suburb value change um, goes over time uh, across the country. And I know that you put that release together and there was quite a bit of coverage through the media. I mean, my main point for this is probably, you know, just reiterating that downward trajectory. I know that that's really where a lot of our headlines lead in terms of the, the high proportion of suburbs that have gone backwards. We're measuring it over a three-month period in this case. Um, and of course, there was some feedback on the terminology used there with um, you know, the, word, the word plunge in there, which depending on the period you're looking at could probably be you know, maybe a little bit uh, you know, harder than, than otherwise would look at. Is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of the high level results, maybe some of the proportion of suburbs across some of those different cities that we're seeing values fall? And as you sort of hinted at in the, the house price index data, you know, those areas that maybe fared a little bit better than others as well. And just anything else that the media were picking up on that you um, discussed into any great detail, mate? Yeah, uh, one of the interviews I did, they picked up on the word plunge and we discussed where, what that truly meant rather than the actual sort of issues they had, which was a bit of a funny one. But yeah, the, the, I mean, mapping the market definitely showed or con that continued down its momentum over the winter. There was around sort of 85% of suburbs saw some degree of fall from uh, June to September. So, you know, pretty widespread. And, and yes, within that, there, there were some suburbs you probably would say plunged. You know, falls of sort of 19% over that period, but others still had increases. They were, they were few and far between, but I think it just shows that, that it's never all one-way traffic. Uh, so that was one of the things I was, I was pretty keen to get across, but certainly it's widespread and, and we know this, is, this has continued over the past few months, common drivers, mortgage rates, you know, reduced credit availability, all these things, as well as the fact that we had the big upswing and, and affordability got so stretched. So there was some kind of sort of adjustment phase that was due. Um, I mean, Auckland, a lot of suburbs within Auckland, Wellington, Dunedin, the ones that kind of felt the most pain were centred in, in those areas, but it wasn't just the main centres, you saw it around provincial markets too. So I think really, in the end, when you're seeing 85% of suburbs see some kind of decline, it's it's obviously pretty widespread. So, so that was sort of one part of it. I guess also just trying to speculate or you know we're, we're sort of having an informed guess I guess about about where we go next and and you know there is um there is a sense that this might mark the worst point you know the point where values fell at their fastest pace and they're on them at their most widespread level and it could be that over the next sort of quarter next two quarters that rate of change gets less negative and maybe as as across fewer suburbs. So possibly you know that it could be that these numbers mark the worst point. Uh, we we see you know, possibly mortgage rates peak, although those GDP numbers might turn that around a little bit. Um, but if unemployment stays low, people adjust to this this new environment environment that we're in, then you know these could be the worst numbers. But but not saying it's suddenly going to sort of turn around to, to to boom times again. I think there's there's still more falls to come. It just might be that they're, they're smaller and less widespread. So um, yeah, that's kind of the the main tone of the commentary and. Uh, hopefully I managed to steer that one interview away from discussing terminology to actually what the main issues were. But um, yeah, interesting uh, and, good, and good, good coverage and um, good to get the figures out there. Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. It's the rate of falls that might slow down, but not exactly turn around. Um, and, and so that we're going with this one does measure on three months as well, which is a relatively short period of time. I think we need to acknowledge, and we have toyed with this one over time. You know, we often look at the annual rate of change on this map, uh, but this one is the three months. So we are looking at a relatively short period. As you say, it might capture the toughest period of the market and things will change in the future. And we'll look to change what we display on the website too. But I'll leave a full link to that. Of course, you can go to the map on our website and look at all the suburbs in your city 
anywhere, no matter where that is in the country, um, and see how things are faring around your area. And, and, and mostly the differences, you know, sometimes there's clusters of, you know, behaviour that happen in one area, and it's quite different in a, a you know, neighbouring area. Um, and you can sort of see some patterns emerge, whether it's based on the average value of properties in those areas, and the, and the cheaper areas doing better or worse, or, or vice versa. So that's the other thing you can sort of tease out when you're looking at it on a map, rather than a table of data, which doesn't quite give you the same details sometimes. So well worth checking it out, and I'll be sure to leave a link um, for, in the show notes to go and check it out um, for your area. Uh, moving on then, mate, the other couple of releases, um, the first one I thought about was the net migration data, of course. We do have the migration data comes from Stats New Zealand last week, and I mean, the general, the high level is, is of course, it remains negative. Um, you know, and I know that, again, your focus is now looking at sort of what's happening underneath that surface, particularly when it comes to the Kiwi citizen versus non-citizen breakdown, because I think that starts to tell a bit of a story and, and can help us to understand how things might change in the future too. So can you give us your rundown on that Stats New Zealand migration data, Calvin? Yep, yep. So uh, in the year to July, and in aggregate across all visa types, citizen types, whatever, we had an outflow of or minus 12,385 people in net terms. That's in the 12 months of July. So you know, again, so we've talked about pretty difficult for skill shortages, all, all these things. So uh, losing about 12,000 people in net terms. But when you sort of disaggregate it a little bit more and look at uh, Kiwi citizens versus non-citizens, uh, you start to see slight different patterns. So the, the New Zealand citizens balance is still negative. And, and I guess that's what people are thinking about when they talk about the brain drain, you know, it's, it's young Kiwis heading off overseas and we're not getting enough back to compensate. So, so losing New Zealand citizens in net terms. However, the non-citizen balance in the last few months has actually started to turn positive again. So, so you know, basically new migrants coming to New Zealand in net terms, uh, which makes sense, you know, perhaps it's a bit easier to get in, borders are open, some visas being processed. So, yeah, there's... As I say, I think people, when they're thinking about the brain drain, they're thinking about that, that citizen balance, but it ignores this whole other component, which has actually been the key driver of overall migration historically, is, is the non-citizen balance. Um, so that's, it's I suppose, encouraging that it's started to turn positive again. And now I guess the question is, does it stay positive? Because, of course, they could choose Australia, New Zealand, the US, wherever. And so you'd have to think that, to get simple comparison wages, for example, should I go to New Zealand? Should I go to Australia? Well, you're probably going to go to Australia if that's your only criteria. So, um, so yeah, it's I guess encouraging, but yeah, there has to be that that risk that it, it perhaps doesn't get back to the levels that we've seen historically, and not enough to offset that outflow of young New Zealanders. Or they might not be young, but but that outflow of New Zealanders. So, I think for now, it's it's still we're losing people in net terms, but just that sense that at least that non-citizen balance is turning around so we have to watch that one yeah exactly and i think you know new zealand will still be an attractive place for a lot of people you know internationally yes you might then compare to australia and i'm sure there's a lot of appeal to that but there's lots of australians there so there's certainly some downside to living in australia as well um you know you have to come to new zealand to the paradise that we've got obviously and and there are jobs here of course we know with the tight labor market um you know people will will have good success coming into new zealand and hopefully finding a job in a number of different um areas and, and different skill levels as well so i think that attraction will be there i think you're right that it depends what happens with the kiwis and how 
how much outflow really happens. Maybe the majority of people that were going to go have already gone already, and that starts to tail off. And so it is a bit more positive than than, than we're, we're kind of expecting and most are expecting. But I did see there's a sort of a, a note from Westpac last week, sort of doubting that things would stay negative for as long as many people expect as well. So there is, again, a wide varying level of opinions on what's going to happen with migration, and it's probably worth considering all options. But I think for now, you know, as, as you, you often point out, essentially, you know, means that the underlying level of demand will be constrained for a bit longer. And so, you know, in terms of where, where property is going to go, it's not going to provide a boost to, to demand for property anytime soon. Um, and so, you know, they, they're constrained on, on values or that further drop in values is likely to continue and not be saved by a whole bunch of people moving here and needing somewhere to live, whether it's renting or buying anyway. So I think that has to be the upshot there anyway. Um, and then speaking of the rental market, of course, the other one that, that the key piece of data last week was um, the rental um, change data from Stats New Zealand, their rental price index. And again, we saw that rental growth ease further, which is something we've been talking about for a wee while. We saw it drop the month before, and I saw the figure was down to 3.6% annual growth at the end of August. So definitely seems like it's coming back to a norm. And, and we've talked about this for a while, you know, where that, that balance of power um, seems to be swinging more in favour of tenants as, as there's you know, fewer of them looking for property out there. There's been you know, more rental properties coming to market as well. And so that balance between demand and supply seems to be necessitating less growth in that in that annual rate of change for rental prices. And, you know, I think it's worthwhile pointing out that the average is always about 3 or 4%, typically follows wage growth as people can afford more, they typically pay more in rent as well. And so there's always growth in the rental prices and uh, it's just getting back towards that level of normality. So you're yeah, not sure if you've got too much else to add on top of that, mate, but um, yeah, certainly an interesting one for us for a while now, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Yeah, not, not too much to add there at all. Is it pretty much what I was going to say? I suppose um, just to tell your words. That wider perspective of, you know, there has been a period where landlords have, have had the upper hand and, and, you know, they've been trying to recoup those costs of well, mortgage rates, uh, interest deductibility, all those things, and, and have kind of had the, the pricing power pretty much to do that. But so now, yeah, it seems like the, the boots on the other foot, as they say, and, and perhaps things are switching a bit more in favour of tenants. Like you say, rents don't really sort of go down, it's, it's more about slower growth and more moderate growth, you know, affordability being improved through through wages exceeding rent growth. And that's that's sort of the position we're in now. So it might take a while and it's probably still going to feel pretty stretched for tenants, but at least, you know, think these figures are showing that, that things are, are switching back in their favour and, and perhaps away from landlords a little bit. So a bit of a challenge for, for landlords again on top of all those other things. And, and you know, we're seeing in, say, buyer classification where, where those mortgaged MPOs are perhaps finding a few more challenges there. So, um, yeah, again, interesting to watch. And and um, but at least from a tenant's perspective, uh, things things a little bit back in their favour. Exactly. Yeah, you know, I suppose for any tenant that's trying to save for their first time as well, they're seeing things improve on a number of different levels now with you know prices coming back, which means that it doesn't take quite as long to save for their deposits either. So certainly opening up for that, but um, you know, the level of affordability still meaning it's very tough for them as well. So yeah, long way to go before it's going to be a significant change from that perspective. Um, all good, mate. Well, is there anything else from a data or any other insights you had from last week, um, Calvin, before we take a look ahead what's coming up this week? No, no, that was it from uh, last week's data. So, yeah, I'm good. 
Nice, nice one, mate. Well, um, in terms of this week as well, as I said, you know, probably looking at overseas as to what's happening in America, but I don't think there's any other major data releases coming, which is quite handy because I am on leave from sort of Wednesday <laughs> onwards for my wife's 40th. So uh, hopefully can sort of properly check out of um, check out of work for a little bit anyway. You can never stay too far away with it because you, you're always across the news, but uh, we'll, we'll wait and see what happens there. And also worth noting, of course, that um, there is the public holiday for the Queen on Monday as well, which means we'll record on Tuesday. So yeah, is there anything else on your mind this week or um, from a release perspective? Are you What are you writing about this week from uh, for CoreLogic to, to release to media this week? What's, what else is going on in your place, mate? Yeah, not a whole lot. I suppose that we're just taking away little things that have been on the back burner for a while. Pretty pretty busy period we've had. So, um, yeah, just chipping away at those things. We'll, we'll put out a note. Uh, I'm not entirely sure yet what that might be, but, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll put that out and obviously – monitoring the market as we go it could be that the uh, the interest rate ones are really interesting to what uh, aspect to watch with with those you know maybe some some thoughts around the economy a bit being a bit hotter still than what the reserve bank might like and we'll say nz's uh, uh, raised forecast for the official cash rate so it could be that you know mortgage rates are in, uh, the one to watch for now so um, we'll see Good point. And, you know, the Reserve Bank hasn't surprised us for a while, so maybe they'll come out with something random this week that we're not expecting. But uh, we'll wait and see on that one. Yeah, maybe LVRs, DTIs, who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, all good. All right, mate, well, I'll close us out then. It seems like a relatively short one for us, and maybe that's partly because I'm, I'm in the corner and, and I feel like I haven't been able to project my voice today, so we'll kind of keep this a bit quieter and, and shorter than usual. But uh, I'm sure the listener won't mind anyway, so it's all good. Um Cool, mate. Well, I will close us out. So thanks very much for your thoughts as per usual. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for listening. Please do subscribe, hit that auto download button and feel free to get in touch with us too. And we are available on Twitter, LinkedIn and our email address is all sitting there within the podcast player show notes. Just want to say thanks. My name is Nick. He's Calvin. You've been listening to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast. Mā